because we're today we're talking about um, making mistakes. Making mistakes. I mean, has anybody in here ever made a mistake? Let me just show hands. You've ever made a mistake? Oh, we should do it anyway. Has anybody here never made a mistake? Raise your hand. Kelly was pointing at Jay. What was that? Mean? Okay, good. Good. I made a mistake once. Kidding. Um, the truth of the matter is, um, we've all made mistakes. The, probably the better question is, how public was your mistake? Um, and hopefully for you it wasn't like, I brought some pictures, some public mistakes, things that people did that got caught on film with a camera. Yeah, go ahead. Show a few of them. I love this. Um, this is a newspaper, and it says, read about blah, 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 blah. Obviously, that was just type put in there. It's supposed to be changed later on, but it won't be print. That's good. Got a couple more. Some more bottles. This is great. This is for all the basketball fans. They did spell it correctly, but they spelled it for the people behind them. So it goes for the camera in front. Okay. Any skateboarders here? We have some skateboarders in the house. Yes, we have a few skateboarders in the house. That, that's how I would skateboard, probably. Um, I, love, I love that. You're doing it wrong. You think? You think? A few more. So, so you're an ice skater. And you go up to do one of those thingamajigs that are not called thingamajigs, the double clutch doohickey spin. And you land, and you go through the wood, and the spotlight is on you. That's awesome, isn't it? I mean, that's a good day, right? As a skater, it's a good day. I think we have a couple more. I don't know. That's just funny to me. The bike stopped, and he's still going. It looks girly. It's anyway, like flying or something. I think we have one. No, we have a couple more. That's a good one, too. I like that. That's some kind of physics lesson, isn't it? What, I don't know, I don't know enough, enough about physics, but something like a body in motion will stay. Oh, it's probably good. And I think we have one more, this is my favorite. Let's just have I love that. You feel bad for 344, don't you? Somehow that, and when you, when you say face plant, that, you say, how is that happening? Well, because he failed, that's why. He's a loser. I mean, I mean, he has a big bruise on his face. His whole face has got to be bruised, right? His whole face. That's just... Oh, wow. <clears throat> or he's playing limbo. One or two. And if he is, he's doing it wrong. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, what happens when mistakes are public? When they, um, when they are out there on display for everybody to see? So today, here's what we're going to learn. We're going to run across two stories in Acts chapter 9. We're going to be at the end of Acts 9, starting in verse 32. We're going to run across two stories that involve one man. And while both of the stories are extremely incredible, it's the backstory of the man that makes them have hope for you and I. Okay? It's his backstory. This we'll get to in just a second. Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 32. We run across Peter again. We've met Peter before in Acts. Here's a recap of the things that have gone on in Peter's life just in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, he preached to thousands of people and saw thousands of people saved. In Acts chapter 3, he healed a crippled beggar. In Acts chapter 4, he was arrested. In Acts chapter 5, he took up an offering that resulted in the death of two people. 
I've never had the privilege of doing that. Hopefully I never will. And also later in Acts 5, he was re-arrested, put in prison, and then he was part of a jailbreak um, led by angels. If you've been watching the Bible, you already know that they were ninja angels, right? <laughs> Whatever. So let's just suffice it to say that Peter's been around. It's safe to say that he was, and he still is, a rock star in the world of Jesus' followers, right? Peter, the rock star. And now we meet him again. He's about to do two things that will elevate his rock star status in the early church. So we're going to divide this into three parts. I didn't make you fill in the blanks. It's one, two, and three. The stories, the backstory, and the point. Because I know how I know how y'all are, right? I do the stories, and then I do the backstory, and then when I get done with that, you'll be like, you turn to your neighbor and go, what's the point? I know who you are, so I'm going to tell you that. It's going to be very, very easy to know what the point is. But let's start with the stories. Okay, we're in Acts chapter 9. Here's the stories. In the span of, of seven verses, Peter's going to heal a man who's been in bed for eight years, and he's going to bring a dead woman back to life. That's a pretty good day, wouldn't you say? Anybody here by show of hands ever brought somebody back to life? Okay, just check. First, the first story is the bedridden man. So in Acts chapter 9, verse 32, it says, As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Ainus, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Ainus, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately he got up. And all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Just a couple of quick points, and then we're going to move on. Number one, Jesus, Peter knew who was doing the healing. I love that. He didn't walk in and say, I, Peter, Jesus' follower and rock star, am here to heal thee. He, he didn't do that. He just walked in. Who's going to heal him? Not a trick question. Who's going to heal him? Jesus. He said that right in front of him. Hey, guess what? Jesus Christ heals you. It actually, in the Greek, means Jesus Christ is healing you. That's what it means. So he knew right away, it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. He's going to heal you. He had authority. I love that. I love that he had authority. He never asked the guy, do you want to be healed? He just said, Jesus Christ heals you. Now here's, we got a couple blanks to fill in under number one. Here's what they are. Peter made the assumption that no one wants to be sick. We make the assumption that no one wants to be healed. Everybody say, ouch. Now, I'm talking about me too, okay? So when we, if Peter walks into, we talk about Walmart all the time, because there ain't nowhere else to go around here, right? Stanley Cabin, where does Walmart? I mean, I don't talk about Walmart because I love Walmart. It's just, that's all there is. I mean, we don't talk about Dollar General. Nobody goes, it's Friday night. What should I do with my kids? Go to Dollar General. No, they all go to Walmart, don't they? Kids in tow. So Peter, if he walked into Walmart and he saw somebody limping in Walmart, he would make the assumption that they would like to be healed. We see somebody limping in Walmart and we walk past them because we make the assumption that they don't. I know that's a harsh way to say it, but that is the truth, and I'm the same way. Major difference between Peter and us. He assumes no one wants to be sick, we assume no one wants to be healed. The second story takes place right after that. It's in a city. It's 11 miles west of where he is right now. So a bad thing happens to a good woman. Can anybody relate to that? Okay, forget the woman part. 
conference, all the men were like, I can really do that, but I don't want to raise my hand. You ever had something bad happen to you when you feel like you were doing good things? Raise your hand. And that happens to us all the time. So here we are, a good woman. What does it say in verse 36? In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, the most fun name in the Bible. Everybody only can three say Dorcas. Dorcas. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a Dorcas. I love that. I love it. Yeah, and how many of you did Dave Ramsey? How many of you did Dave Ramsey Financial Peace? The name Dorcas means gazelle. How cool is that? So if you did Financial Peace and he's always like, be a, be a gazelle. Have a gazelle. You come over and go, dude, I'm a Dorcas. We should get shirts. I'm a Dorcas. Be fantastic. Anyway, I just want to warn you now. I'm a little bit still ADD, and I'm also I'm kind of like professionally in middle school, so I will say the word Dorcas a lot today. Just one warning, Dorcas. I'm going to say it again so you'll laugh like that again, Dorcas. I just want to hear somebody snore. That'd be awesome. Here we go. In Java, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which, which, which when translated, which one is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. God, I mean, like, this week the Bible will go, I totally, I relate to that. Not the death part, because you're still here, but she went around and she did good for everybody. She did good for the poor. She was a good woman. She got sick, and she died. So, 11 miles west of where he just healed a guy that was bedridden for eight years, a good woman has died. Something bad has happened to somebody good. And what did they do? After Dorcas dies, the first person they called was not the mortician. It was Peter, the rock star, among all the followers of Jesus. Verse 38. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Verse 39, Peter went with him, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood around him, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robe and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. Can you just picture that scene? I'm not trying to throw the women under the bus. But ain't nobody emotional like a woman who's crying. So he's surrounded by grieving widows who are not only crying, they're going, So once he got them out of the room, he got down on his knees, verse 40, and he prayed. 
Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Or as I like to paraphrase, you dork, get up. <laughs> she opened her eyes. St. Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them Elijah. This became known all over Joppa. Many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. We don't see a lot of people raised from the dead today, so here's what can happen. It becomes very easy to see a story like this and not think that they really happened. And if they did really happen, we start to think they could never happen today. This is one of those stories. It's just easy to kind of leave in the Bible, right? That was awesome. He raised a dead dork from the dead. <laughs> a dead dork from the dead. Yeah, yeah. But it never happened today. It's easy to start putting that filter on and say it's not going to happen today. And while that, that's something we can talk about later, today's big idea is not so much about these stories that we just read as it is about the man we just read who's in the story. Here's the big idea today. Just write it down, then I'll explain it. Because I'm going to say it and be like, but he was hungry when he brought that. Here's what it is. Our mistakes can be the cake for the icing. I was hungry when I wrote it, but it will make sense. Our mistakes can be the cake for the icing. Here's what I mean by that. We read a story like this where he just healed. He prayed and a man who was in the bed for eight years gets healed. And then, if that's not enough, he goes 11 miles west and prays for a woman who is dead, and she comes back to life. Again, this is a good day for Peter, but these are stories we read and go, God, that, this is like icing right here. This is good. Anybody like icing? I mean, do you like icing enough to just pull out, like, the tub and get a spoon and just eat the icing? Yes. My, my family, we are known for this caramel cake. Um, it was my dad's, it's my dad's favorite, it became like Laura's favorite, now it's anybody's favorite, whoever has a bite of it. But it's just this regular old black chocolate cake mix, but the, the icing, dang, it's like half an inch, it's like an inch thick of caramel icing. And it's inside the cake too, and so, like, what I do is I get a slice of that, and then I eat the cake part out of it so that I can have the icing later, which is always cool because you have like the, the icing on top and the side and the little thing down the middle. If you're really good, you can keep that there too. And then you start eating just the icing, and at some point your mouth turns upside down. Because it's just so like, oh, it's so good, and yet it hurts. That's what happens when you just have icing without cake. It is good. We love it, but you will be sick. And so when we read stories like this, I just want you to understand something. This is icing in the Christian faith, okay? Would I like this to be normative? Absolutely. I would love to go with you to Walmart when you raise a dead person. That'd be awesome. But I'm going to tell you right now, the church in America, we are so guilty of this. We will spend our entire lives searching for that one moment, and we will miss what God's trying to do with us. Just because we're going after icing. That's, that is the church today. We are basically people picking up a tub of icing and just eating it. And it's all, ugh, I just can't take anymore. Put it away. Okay? So what we just read is icing. The danger is that we only look for the icing. We never look for the foundation. What does icing go on top of? A spoon. You go in my mouth. There's a lot of cake, right? It goes on top of cake. So we are so busy looking for icing, we never see the foundation. And here's what makes the cake 
your mistakes and mine. That's what I want to get to, the backstory. I want you to see Peter. Not the Peter that's right here, raising somebody from the dead, seeing a paralytic get out of bed after 18 years. I want you to meet the man behind the man, okay? I want you to take your Bible. I'm going to throw a couple verses at you. You can just write them down. I've mentioned some references that he, some ways that he failed. And I want you to see there's more to Peter than this story. And here's why that's important. Have you ever heard somebody give a testimony and they were in your eyes a giant in the faith? And they just, they had, they, like, I did this, I did this, they're just telling story for story. You're going, God, that never happens to me. I know, I think I've shared this with, this, shared this with some of you before. When I was a senior in high school, and I heard this woman, this man, this woman came, she stood in the theater, and she was an old lady, she got up and she talked about how her car had no gas, and she put her hands on it and prayed with a friend of hers, and God started the car, and they drove where they needed to go, and they got back after they went and ministered to somebody, and as a senior in high school, I was just like, that's the coolest story ever, God never does stuff like that, well, one doesn't have a car. <laughs> and so I said this to God, I want to be like Thinking that somehow she had just like landed and was just one of faith. And then I come to find out later after I had the worst year of my life, but at the end of it was a lot more like that woman, that she actually had had a lot of hard times too. And that's, that's what made her the woman that she was. Sometimes we just look at the icing and we don't see what happened to get them there. So here's what happened in Peter's life. The same Peter who just prayed for a dead woman to be raised to life was a failure at walking on water. These are all in the Bible. He was a failure at protecting the Messiah. Actually, when he was trying to protect Jesus, he whipped out his sword and he cut some guy's ear off. He was called Satan by Jesus. That's not a good day, right? Okay, that's not a good day, right? I'm sure you know that. You don't want to be at home in your quiet time praying and hear the voice of God say, Satan. You don't want to hear that. But Jesus, Jesus said that to Peter, called him Satan. Actually said, get behind me. He was a failure praying for a demon-possessed man. He was a failure standing up for his faith. This same Peter failed publicly. And not just publicly like in his life, but what are we reading about? right now a Peter who failed so your, your failures what they happen one day right you hope nobody hears about it maybe the next day somebody did so you kind of do a little bit of damage control Peter's failures are recorded in God's word for all of mankind to read any volunteers to have your mistakes publicly displayed like that of course not kidding but that's what happened with Peter. The question has to be this. What happened in Peter's life that allowed him to move past those moments when he failed in order to be the confident man that we see in verse, in Acts chapter 9? What happened in his life? How did God take his mistakes and turn them into the cake that became the foundation of his life that then held the icing that we read about in Acts chapter 9? Two things. Here's two things that God did. It's in your notes. Here we go. Number one, Peter was found out. And number two, he was filled up. 
Peter got found out. Turn in your Bibles. Keep your finger in um, Acts chapter 9. Just turn over to John. Just a couple of books to the left. John chapter 21. So Peter, um, love the guy, denied knowing Jesus not one time, but how many times? Who knows? Three times. So three times he denies even knowing Jesus. Pretty public fail. And then in John chapter 21, he's going to meet with Jesus again. And here's a little exchange that they have, starting in verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Translation, dude, I already said that one time. Why are you asking? Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Let's go into the Greek for a little bit, okay? I want you to get what's going on here. Because I read stuff like this and it makes no sense to me. Like, why is Jesus repeating himself? And I have heard people say, well, he asked him three times because Peter denied him three times. Maybe. But when you look at the Greek, here's what you find out. The Greek has different words for the word love. We have one word, love. So there's this one word. It's called agape. And it's God's kind of love. All right, it's the way that God loves us. It's unconditional. It's like, man, no matter what you do, I'm going to love you. Husbands, lay that on your wife one night. Just lay in the bed next to her and look over and go, hey, baby, I have got paid for you. All right? There's another word. This is also one you can share with your wife. Eros. I think you know what that means. If not, we'll have a separate class for that later. <laughs> It's a great word. It's a great word. The third word is phileo. Okay? And it, it means friendship. It's where, the, it's where Philadelphia gets its name from. The city of brotherly love. It just means, hey, buddies, pals, that's what we are. Alright? So, in this, I want you to know that when they wrote the Bible in Greek, they used words intentionally. Okay? They didn't just throw them around. We're really bad about pulling words around. They use them intentionally. So when you look at the Greek, you start to see why they use that word when they could have used this word. And so if we read this in the Greek, here's how it goes. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? And Peter said, you know that I phileo you. So did Peter answer the question? No. Did he try to get away with it? Yes. Have you ever BS somebody? Can I say that to the microphone? This is, it, it's in the Bible. Peter's doing it right now. Yes, Lord. Oh, yes. I exalt thee. Oh, I believe oh, you. He is just giving him a whole line. So now does it start to make sense why Jesus came back a second time and said, whoa, whoa, hold on, buddy. Sounds like John. Do you agape me? Yes, Lord. You know that I follow you. And we are pals. We are buddies. We are hanging out. We're chilling. The third time, in the Greek, verse 17, the third time, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you follow me? Now do you see why it says Peter was hurt 
because Jesus asked him, do you phileo me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. What's going on here? He's getting found out. He's being exposed. And Jesus is pressing the issue until he finally gets Peter to go, you got me. No, I don't agape you. No, I will not go to the ends of the earth for you. I really just want to go get a Big Mac with you. How honest are you with God? Are we just BSing Him too? How honest are we with Jesus? Because Peter was not honest. I want you to know something. Peter never would have been the man in Acts chapter 9 if he hadn't been found out in John 21. Now, let's just lighten the mood for a little bit. Because nobody likes to be exposed. I think I've told you the story, but if I haven't, you'll love it. If I have, it'll give you a good break. This is a man who's in a church. They were doing a baptism service. And they were in the church. It was a church in the round. Church and around means that you kind of, like here, I'm standing and you're just in a semicircle. But if we were church and around, it'd be all the way around me. And so in this church and around, it's set up a baptism service. Well, there's nowhere to change, right? And so what they did was somebody got smart. They ran a, a cable on this side and a cable on this side in a circle. And they dropped huge black ropes. So they had changing for the men here. Changing for the woman here, this man got he got baptized, he got up, and whoo, the whole deal, and he went in to change. And then the woman that was getting baptized after him, she came up out of the water, and she came up Pentecostal. And she's dancing all around the place, and she's like going crazy, and she got her foot caught on that fabric, and she like, and when she did, that thing just went off, and he was buck naked standing True story. Well, some really quick-thinking usher cut the lights and started counting. One, two, three. Thirty seconds in, he cut the lights back on. That guy was so traumatized, he was still standing there just above that. <laughs> Poor guy. Listen, nobody likes to be exposed, okay? So what you're not hearing from me this morning is you should be begging God, expose me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you that there are mistakes in your past. There is junk in your life, and you are trying so hard to keep it hidden, and God is trying so hard to bring it out. He finds us out. Peter was found out. He was also filled up. Acts chapter 2. We've covered these earlier in the series. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. All of them on the day of Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Seems like an odd verse until you remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
so that you'll be my witnesses. So he gives us power so that we can talk about Jesus. How many of you have had anybody, any time in your life, ask you about Jesus? And sometimes we just admit the words come out, right? And sometimes we sit there and go, uh, 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 uh. So you know that we need power to be his witnesses in the world. So here's Peter. He is broken down. He is found out. He is exposed. I mean, Jesus has broken him all the way down. You don't love him like you're supposed to. You keep telling me that you do, but come on, dude, man, I'm Jesus. I know you don't love me like you're supposed to love me, so just admit it. And Peter finally says, all right, fine. I don't love you like I should. He is totally broken down. And here, he gets filled up. What was the point of it? The point of being filled with God's power was, be, was to be able to have the power to share the good news of Jesus. Again, he would never have done in Acts chapter 9. There's no way he's walking in and saying this. Hey, get up. He's not walking in with that kind of confidence. Unless he's been filled with the power of God. It's not fun to be exposed, but it's a critical step to be an empty vessel that can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to turn there, just jot down 2 Kings 4 3. 2 Kings 4 is this great story where the prophet goes to a widow and she's got no food, she's got nothing, she can't even bake bread, she's got no oil, and he says this to her quick, quick, go out to all your friends, all your neighbors, not your wife, not your kids. Go out to all the people that you know and get as many jars as you can and bring them back, and then God's going to start to fill those with oil. That's not what he said. It's close. What he said was, go find as many empty vessels as you can and bring them back. Why, why would you, I mean, don't think too deep here. Why would it be important for her to go get empty vessels? Because you can't fill full vessels. What's the point of us being found out? What's the point of us being exposed? What is the point of life beating us down until we feel like we are empty on the inside? Is it possible that then we're in the place where God can fill us? Yes. So the good news is, if you're here this morning and life has just kicked you to the curb, you are in the perfect place to get full of the power of God. That's the reason why we get empty. So that we can be full of his power. Peter was found out. Peter was filled up. Once you know something, Ephesians 2.10 makes it clear that you and I are called, just like Peter, to do mighty exploits for his kingdom. It says that we were actually prepared, prepared, created to do good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. So he's doing things in our life, preparing us to do the great things that he has for us to do. But before we can do it, um, guess what we have to be? Two steps. We have to be found out, and we have to be filled up. You gotta be found out, you gotta be filled up. And until we do that, we can't be used by God. You can crave the icing all you want. You can get on your knees every single day and say, oh God, before I die, please let me raise a dead person. But as long as we're trying to hide the mistakes in our life, we give God nothing to work with. We stop hiding our mistakes and start allowing God to heal them, not only heal them, and I love this about God, 
He's so sovereign that he not only heals the mistakes and heals the hurts, but he actually incorporates them into our story. I love that. That's good. So here's the point. Everybody say, what's the point? What's the point? Go back to Acts chapter 9. Let's take a few things away from this passage. A couple things you can take away. Here's the point. Acts chapter 9, verse 32, says this, As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints. In the ESV version, it says this, As Peter went here and there among them all. I love that. As Peter went here and there among them all. What does that mean? How, what's the takeaway for that? It's time for some of you to start moving around again. Some of you kind of sit back. I can't do that. I got too much junk. I, I made too many mistakes. It's time for you to start moving around among them. Just get up and start moving around. Do something. Just move around among them. Don't sit back on the sidelines. Gosh, don't stay in your house with the windows closed and the blinds drawn. Get out and move. We've allowed our past mistakes, we've allowed our past mistakes to keep us from present ministry. Don't do that anymore. Don't let your past mistakes keep you from present ministry. Look at verse 40. I love that it says, he turned toward the dead woman. Here's what that means for you and I. It means that God never turns a blind eye toward our mistakes. God sees all and redeems all. He sees all and redeems all. I got to thinking about what would I do if I was Peter and there was a dead woman in the room with me. Um, I don't know if I'm turning myself and looking at her. I mean, what do you do with, let's just say that the woman represents all your mistakes, all the things in your life that are dead, all the, all the, the bad choices that you made, all the way that your life went another direction when you wanted to go the other way. What do we do with those? We try to look away from them as much as we possibly can. I love people that walk around and go, I'm not sick. <coughs> well, not anymore because you crossed it up onto the mic. We, we live, sometimes we just live in denial, don't we? God's not a God of denial. He's not looking past your mistakes. He's actually looking right at it. He knows that they're there. He sees all, but he redeems all. Peter looked at the woman, and I think he probably thought, she's dead. That is, that is a dead woman. It's one dead horse. <laughs> and then he just said, get up. He looked at her. Please understand this. God sees all. He sees the things we try to hide. He, here's what grace is. God's redemption always, everybody say always? Always. Always changes everything. God's redemption always changes everything. That means your past failures, your past mistakes, God can change that. Let me go a step further. That means the hard heart that you came in with this morning, he can change that. That means, um, wife, when you walked in this morning and you're sitting next to your husband, 
and you're so disgusted by him that every time he breathes, you're just like, God can change him.
mess I made. I pretty much gave it away, didn't I? Don't look here. Right? Stupid, stupid. I was such a dorkus. My dad walked over, and he just, you know, he just had fire in his eyes. And he was bent on exposing this. And he pushed me aside. And he reached under the bed and he pulled it out. And as soon as I saw it come out, I mean, even right now, telling this story, you don't even know how sick I am in my stomach. It was horrible to be found out. And that's kind of where you are. That's where a lot of us are with Jesus. I know something about you, I know a secret about you. You have secrets. You're not junk in your life. And you're, you're wasting your energy and your time trying to hide it from a God who already knows. And the sad thing is we try to hide it from people who we're pretty sure will use it against us if they were found out. How sad is it that the church has become that? But not so here. Here, if nothing else, I will be so transparent with you that we will force this to be a culture of honesty. Where you will not even dare judge lest you be judged. What I want you to know is this. I love the song that's playing. God knows right where you are. Right where you are. He's never changed. And here's how he'll respond to your secret. My dad pulls that magazine out, and as soon as he did, I could have grabbed my pants. And he sat, I did, he, he, I sat on the bed. He got up, he sat right on the bed next to me. And I mean, I'm expecting him to kill me. And he looked at me and he said, do you know how I knew this was here? You're God? <laughs> no. What do, you, what do you think he said? You already know. When I was your age, he said, Paul, there's only one thing you can do with this. you got to get rid of it. How long do you think it took me to go out Sneaking it under my shirt, of course, so my mom wouldn't see it, to the trash can. About 10 seconds. Because the kindness of God draws us to repent. And you are so hiding from God the very thing that He wants to heal. And you're not going to be any good to His kingdom until you stop repenting. So we want to take a few minutes today the end of this message and just let God do that. Do I expect people to stand up and go, I want to confess? I don't know. I mean, if you haven't figured out by now, I don't want to figure God out. I would just rather let Him be God. Are you okay with that? Because you're going to come to me and say, well, well how's He going to, how is He reading this? I did this and I did this, so how did He redeem it? I don't know. I don't know how He does it, but somehow He does. So, so thankful.